All right. Well, we're going to pray in just a second. I want to pray. Uh, we have our men at our men's retreat. We have uh, uh, 35 guys up at our men's retreat. And uh, uh, it's been awesome. Uh, some really, really neat things happening. We want to pray for them in their final session. I think probably like right now as we're doing our session. Um, just one little piece of, of bragging rights. Uh, they did have the man challenge yesterday and Beach Point won. Dave Trika, Dave Trika is the ultimate man apparently now. So... Uh, Carter, you're going to have to deal with all, I don't know what you're going to have to deal with at home, but I'm guessing a lot of strutting around without a shirt off. uh, 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 So uh, let's pray. Let's pray for our guys and let's pray for ourselves. There's, there's kind of a beautiful thing that uh, as Sandra began to lead us in, uh, in the scripture, there's a, there's a prayerful posture of here I am. Uh, Here's my heart. Here's my life. And so let me just invite you first just to take 10 seconds. You may be on, on, on a scale of 1 to 10. You may be a 1. You may be a 10. But wherever you are, we're hoping that in these next minutes that we can, we can move the needle a little bit. But can you, in your own way, just say, Lord, best I can. Here I am. Here I am. And so let's pray. Lord, as simple as this prayer is, we pray it's, it's just incredibly dynamic in our lives. That as we present our hearts to you, as we say to you, here I am, here's my heart, uh, that you would meet us and reveal to us your greatness, your grace, your will, in such a way that we become willing servants. Uh, we pray for our men in this final session. We pray just, just your power to continue to be at work in their lives, your, the, the power of the truth of your word and the, the things that JP has been sharing with them uh, all weekend. We just pray that you bring it to just a, a great uh, uh, conclusion, uh, a great place of application. And so bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you have seen the classic movie, Princess Bride? Just a few of you have seen it. So you remember, remember as it opens up, there's these two characters. There's Buttercup, this young maiden who is, we see her around the farm and all the things she's doing, and Farm Boy. Farm Boy is a servant, and, and uh, Buttercup kind of instructs him around the farm to do different chores. And, and Farm Boy's response every time she asks something is, as you wish. And so all through the the opening scenes, we see her uh, farm boy do this, do this. And his response is simply, as you wish. Well, as as it's developing, we also see that their hormones are growing, that there's this kind of crush developing. And so there's this moment where they they, uh, are, are together and she says to him, there's this picture. It's really close to her. She could easily reach out and grab it. And she says, farm boy, uh, fetch me that picture. And he walks over slowly and just kind of eyeballs her the whole way and grabs it and hands it to her. And then a kind of breathy whisper just says, as you wish. <laughs> now, some of you are kind of moved by that moment right there, aren't you? Okay. Now, it's a, it's a powerful moment because, because in that moment, what happens is she realizes that every time he says, as you wish, what he's really saying is, I love you. 
And, and for us, friends, it's, it's really the same thing in our relationship with God, that, that when we respond to God with the words, as you wish, it, it really reflects a heart filled with love for him. At the very heart of intimacy with God is this response, as you wish, as you will. That's what I want. And, and what happens is our, our two hearts begin to beat as one. We begin to, we're aligned together. And what we begin to experience is this kind of willingness in our lives that says, I love you. I trust you. And when, our, and when we live this way, uh, we, we find life. We find fullness. Now, here's the problem. As much as we know that to be true, we also know that we, we are often sabotaging ourselves because there's a, a willfulness in us. There's, there's a part of us that, that in essence says that we, we don't trust God, that we, we want control. We want to do things our own way. And willfulness, we see, is what caused Satan and a third of the angels to fall. This desire to be like God, to have this sense of control. It's what we see in the very beginning of creation. Adam and Eve given this beautiful garden, this beautiful life, this beautiful opportunity. And, and, and you can have it all. There's just one tree you can't eat from. And, and the deceit that comes in and the willfulness that comes in. And we, we see that there's this desire to be like God himself. And, and, and it's rooted in distrust and, and unbelief that God really does have our best interests in mind. Imagine what it would be like. I, I mean, isn't one of the greatest insults to say to someone, I don't trust you? Think of it this way. Imagine saying that to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents. It's kind of a powerful, you realize there's, there's something very, very deep, very, very harsh in saying, I don't trust you. And yet what you and I realize is there are many times in our lives where we, in essence, are saying to God, I don't trust you. And we seize control and we become willful of our own lives instead of this, having this willing spirit of what God wants to, to do. And over and over again, what we see in the story of God is people coming to these crossroads. And the decision to make is, am I going to have a willing spirit or a willful spirit? And so the Israelites are, are uh, promised this land, but they've got to be willing to trust God and they reject him. And something that would have taken a year instead takes 40 years, a whole generation. David, we see a, 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 a tremendous willingness when he goes into the valley to fight Goliath. And tremendous willfulness when he has a choice to make about Bathsheba. But maybe one of the, the most beautiful pictures of, of a willing heart is this teenage girl that we meet in the Gospel of Luke. A young virgin girl told that she will conceive and give birth to a child, that he will be the Messiah. And her response in Luke 138 is this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, our mission here at Beach Point is this, to develop you, to develop you into an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And those of us willing to say that, Jesus, you are the leader. You, are, you get out in front of my life. You are the one who leads my life. I will be your willing follower, are going to learn how important it is to declare your kingdom come, my kingdom go. 
This is going to be the challenge of our, of our life and our development is, is learning to release this desire to build our own kingdom, our own empire, and want his kingdom, his purposes for our life. And so this is why we're, we're in this series for these, these next weeks. Uh, this series called Serve is that we, we're hoping two things happen. One, we want the character of, of service built into your life and your heart. We want to serve like Jesus. We want to build that into our lives. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we want to learn to serve like Jesus. We want to, to, to build that more and more into who we are. But we, we don't want to just kind of talk about it in, in theoretical ways. One of our hopes is that you will move in very practical ways into places of service. That there will be a, a real application that you will find a meaningful place of service. And if you already have a place of service, that the way that you, you interact and live in that place of service will be dynamically changed. But if you haven't found that kind of meaningful place, just one thing I want to uh, share with you. Uh, next Sunday and the Sunday after that, we're going to have what we call a little serve expo out on the basketball court. There'll be uh, these little pop-up tents and, and all kinds of different ministries are going to be there to, to be able to share a little bit of what it might look like uh, to serve in one of the places here at Beach Point. And so we want to encourage you in the, the next couple of weeks, not only to be here, but plan just to be stay a little bit longer. Uh, plan to have a little bit of time where you can interact and ask some questions and find out how to take maybe some next steps. But we want to see how this willing spirit is developed in us. That's what the purpose is of today. We want to become willing servants. So here's our big idea. Is this, is that a life of serving God is fueled by a spirit of willingness. If you truly want to serve and you want to serve like Jesus, if you want to be a servant of God, you've got to have a spirit of willingness and so this morning, we want to ask some questions about how that spirit is developed in us. See, willingness means learning to embrace a, a state of continuous surrender to God. I'm, I'm continually surrendering to his will for my life. But willfulness, in contrast, it, it sets us apart from God. It, it is our attempt to direct and control and to master, to manipulate and you and I know there's this wrestling match going on in our hearts for this. Willfulness says, I want to be God. I want to play God. I want to rule my life. But willingness, willingness uh, to the Lord is what, what, what will bring what Jesus says is life. What he came to give us. The, the, this, this willingness to receive, to say, I trust you and to have his life. I, now here's what happens. When, when people are willing to, servants, one, you're going to experience a, that, that, that whole spirit. I, if Jesus says, look, this is the path to life. What you have to believe by faith is, then this is the path of blessing. This is where I'm going to feel the, the fullness and abundance of, of, of life as I know it. But I also want to tell you this. It's the way that other people are blessed as well. And I can't think of a better picture than what we had this week. We, our construction project took a, a radical detour uh, because we experienced a flood this week. Uh, our, our building, our original building, flooded on Wednesday. I got I woken up by a text uh, early uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, the preschool building is flooding. And so I, I have no ability to do anything about that other than to look at it and cry with everyone else. But as I got over here, it was just amazing to watch uh, the willing servants uh, work and act and adapt because here's you got you've got parents dropping off kids you got four classrooms you've got a, a, a preschool office you got a lot of things going on and at the same time you have about a hundred women getting ready to launch our women's Bible study and the whole thing is like 
What do we do next? And you know you're going to have to start displacing people and moving things. And, and that can get met by two things. Willfulness. I'm not moving. We've already set up. We've got our things. Or willingness. What do you need? I'm the Lord's servant. And that's what we experienced. It was amazing. I, one thing I would tell you this. If you need a preschool or daycare, don't send them to Valley Day just out of loyalty to Beach Point. Send them to Valley Day because our staff is awesome. They're incredible. And the willingness of their heart and spirit on, on Wednesday just shined so brightly. And in the midst of just a lot of chaos, they just were all willing servants. Whatever you need done, however you need us to move, we're here to do it. And then you have on top of this, this our, our women's Bible study, and you have all these people that are getting ready to launch. Imagine you, you planned all these things to launch. You're getting ready to launch, and all they could do is, what do you need us to do? Everyone grabbing a chair, a table, food, whatever it was, picking things up, moving it. And I'm like, I'm telling them, this is a great sermon illustration. Okay, this is what we're talking about. Serve. This is, I, we planned this flood to see if you guys were really serious about serving. But just a beautiful picture of the willingness and the blessing that came uh, uh, through this. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to figure out how to develop a willing heart. So let's turn to that passage Sandra read to us, Isaiah chapter six, verses one to eight. And let's look at that passage again. And I want you to see the unique way that Isaiah encounters God and how, how his willingness is fueled by this experience of God. And so uh, again, we start in verse one. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Let's stop there at verse four for a second because we see the first thing that we need to see is that willingness is fueled by the greatness of God. Willingness is fueled by the greatness of God. The text starts about uh, King Uzziah. It speaks about this moment in history. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, and it's significant for us to think about this because this is, this is a, 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 a transitional moment for Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Uzziah was this dynamic leader. He, we don't know a lot about him from scripture, but from history, we learned that he was a military genius, that he led armies of over 300,000. He was an incredible builder. He fortified the walls. He built cisterns. He did all kinds of things. He was an economic wizard. He brought life. He brought stability. He brought peace. His fame went out all the way to Egypt. I mean, people knew about him. And he was, he was the king for 52 years. Now, just to put that in perspective, in 52 years, we've had 10 different presidents. They had one king, and they came to trust him and rely on him. And now he's died. His son is on the throne. Assyria is in the north, and it's gaining steam, and they're coming. So let me ask you this. What do you do when your King Uzziah dies? When you lose your money, your job, your talent, your relationship, your whatever it is that is creating peacefulness, security, a sense of a foundation. When that gets taken away, 
what do you do? Where do you turn? What, what are you like in those moments? And this is a significant time. And, and in this time, notice what happens. Isaiah is ushered into a different throne room. And there he's able to see who really sits on the throne. And he has this image and, and this, this experience of, of God on the throne. And he sees in this moment that, that one, God is sovereign. That he is the true king. And that things, everything is under his authority and power. That he's majestic. That he's almighty. That, uh, there's these beings that are called seraphim. It means burning ones. And so you got to try to imagine that. I mean, just try to imagine seeing these beings, these kind of beings that, these kind of angelic beings that seem to be on fire. And with two wings, they cover their eyes because they can't even look at the greatness of God. And with two, they cover their feet as a sign of humility. Yet with two wings, they, they're open and they're ready to go wherever it is that the king would tell them to, to go. He's the Lord Almighty. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the, he's the one who's in charge of angelic armies. And his greatness comes out. But notice there's one thing. There's one thing about the greatness of God that stands out about, uh, above all the other things and it is he is holy. He is holy. Now, this is really important. When we think of holy, sometimes we think of doing right stuff. Doing things right and not doing things that are wrong. So we think of holy as kind of like behavior. But when the Bible speaks of holiness and speaks of God being holy, what it's saying is that the word holy means set apart. Set apart. That he is infinitely, unimaginably different set apart from anything else in creation. And if you don't think this is significant, uh, in English, if we want to emphasize something, we might uh, use punctuation, exclamation point. We might put in all caps or bold or whatever it is. In Hebrew, there's no punctuation. So how do you emphasize something? You repeat it. Now, they could have said, wise, 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 just, 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 love, love, love. They could have said all these things that are still very true of who God is. But what's the one thing these beings, and, and not only this, but the song we were singing, is a, it, it comes from Revelation 4. And in Revelation 4, again, when they're around the throne, the beings just sing, holy, holy, holy. The one attribute of God that stands out above all other things is that he is holy, he is unimaginable, he is he is infinitely better, infinitely greater at every part of life. He's not just a little bit better. He's not just a, and, and, and it's not like him and the devil are like equal in any way. I mean, if, if, if he is infinitely beyond, the devil's a created being. He's infinitely beyond everything for us. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when you think of the greatness of God? Now, some of us are kind of like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights, right? We, we kind of like, I like to think of Jesus like, and we kind of start there, kind of eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus, kind of Christmas, baby Jesus, infant Jesus, like, we put him in a, in a mold how we like him. I like to think of Jesus in a tuxedo shirt. You know, he's formal, but he still likes to party. Uh, like we, we kind of, we shape him. We shape him the way we want him to be, the way we're comfortable. But that's not the experience, is it? 
the, the experience that Isaiah has of the greatness of God, I mean, it overwhelms him. And here's the thing I want you to see that is if you want to develop a willing spirit, look upward. Look upward at the greatness of God and take it all in. Now, when we see it, when we sense it, when we sense even the glimpse of it, of his greatness and his holiness, it's a little, it's, it's much. It's, it's, and so we, we pause. We find ourselves in a place of pause. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Bow your heads for just a moment. And try to picture this in your head. What is it that you see? What is it that you want to do when you see him on the throne? Lord, you are holy. And you love with a holy love. You forgive with a holy mercy. And we give to you, we give to you all the best we know how to give. Uh, our praise and our adoration for you, our, our lives. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Amen. When you think of him in, the, in his greatness, what did, what did you want to say? What did you want to do? It's a little overwhelming, right? Look at what Isaiah does. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, here's the second thing that we, we see in this passage, is that willingness is fueled by the grace of God. By the grace of God. The response that Isaiah has is very powerful. It's not excitement. He doesn't do the wave. He's not, he's not like, uh, uh, like bursting in an applause. He, he, his response is, whoa. And not like Joey, whoa. Like this is like, this is like the woe here is, is prophetic kind of woe. So the prophets would, would speak words of woe over uh, those in, on whom judgment was coming. And so they would say, woe to you, Edom, da, 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 you know, whatever. And they'd point out all these nations or people or whatever. Woe to you. You better figure it out and get right because otherwise judgment is coming or judgment is already coming because of what you've done. But this is, he turns the woe not onto someone else. He turns the woe onto himself. And he says, my soul is ruined. He sees himself under condemnation. He sees the real condition of who he is. In the clarity of, of, of God's greatness, he sees the clarity of, of his own nature. And his response is, I, I'm ruined. I am ruined. Dallas Willard writes this. He says, like the face of the mythical Medusa, our true condition away from God would turn us to stone if we ever really confronted it. It would drive us mad. We literally couldn't survive it. Emotionally, psychologically, we could not survive seeing it. And when we see the greatness of God, when we really encounter it, much like Isaiah, we will, we will see ourselves and feel the same thing. I am ruined. 
But God does something interesting. Revelation leads us to conviction, which leads us to confession. In fact, you see this multiple times, uh, almost like parallel stories. In Luke chapter 5, there's this amazing story. Uh, Peter and Jesus, they go out on a boat. They fish. Peter hadn't caught any fish the night before. They have this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter's response is, this is not natural. This is supernatural. And he realizes who's in the boat with him. And he falls to his knees in the boat and says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. John was described as the one whom Jesus loved. They were like best friends. Yet in Revelation chapter one, when John has this vision, when he hears this voice and he turns around to see the voice and he, ha- he sees Jesus in his glory, he doesn't say, my best friend, and reach out to hug him. He falls on his face. And the closer we get to God's holiness, the more we realize our own struggle, our own sinfulness, And see, here's the struggle in our lives. And and this is why the grace of God is so important as we see in this passage. Because we live in a a time, in a culture where we are not comparing our nature, our sinfulness to the greatness and holiness of God. We're comparing it to each other. Right? It's like being chased by a bear. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Right? And so that's the way we think about our sinfulness. I don't worry about how I stand before God. I just worry about how I stand in comparison to all of you. And so with some of you, I'm doing better. And some of you, I think I'm doing worse. And, and, and so I try to get myself in a safe position. But Isaiah, he sees the greatness of God. He realizes this. And he's humbled in heart. And the humble spirit gives in. He admits his need. And there he's met by the grace of God. Notice verse 6. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which, had taken, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched the my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, I don't know how you would react to a fiery angel coming at you with, a, 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 with tongs and a coal. But whatever sting, whatever pain there was, it's good because it brings life and it brings transformation. And confession can sometimes be painful. It can sting. But, but hear those words. There, there, there's freedom that comes as a result. See, God's story is, is also a story of grace. And that as we see people uh, finding the, themselves in, in the story, as they willful or willing, they're constantly met by the grace of God. And you and I need to be met by the grace of God. And so we see a second thing of response here. If you and I want to develop a willing spirit, we have to look inward. We have to look inward. We have to admit our need and we have to let his grace cover us. We have to let the coal touch our lips, let our sin be covered, let, let it be atoned for. One of the things for me that helps build a willing spirit is I know myself enough. I, I, I resonate with what Willard says. I, I, I shudder at the thought of who I would be apart from the grace of God. So at camp yesterday, uh, I've probably been to Thousand Pines like uh, probably at least a hundred times in my lifetime. And one of the, the men asked me, he said, Bill, what's your favorite memory of being at Thousand Pines? And it was quick. It was my very first time, second night, and the whisper of, uh, of Jesus into my heart, Bill, f- will you follow me? And, and all I can say is something happened that 
the Almighty God whispered in a 15-year-old's heart and my life radically changed from that moment on. But sometimes, almost as, a, as an exercise, I will think back and think, what would have happened to me if I would have said, no, thank you. And I, and I, and I in my mind, I, I walk down this path apart from the grace of God. And I start to think of what a disaster my life would have been. Whatever kind of chaos I would have brought to a spouse and family and how dysfunctional my kids would be and how unethical I'd be and, and selfish and self-serving. And, and I want to like hit rewind as quick as possible and get back to this place of grace. And I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace. You saved me from so much hurt, not only for myself, but for so many other people. You rescued me. And that willingness of of spirit comes. See, it's very important that we hear these words. Notice what happens as we look inward. We see our need. We turn to him. He says this in confession. As we come to him in confession, your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And like we just sung, the last song we sang right before I came up. Because of your love, my sins my sins are washed away. Now, now, all of my life I freely give. See, when we look inward and we experience the grace of God, the, the willing spirit uh, erupts from us. It did in me, it did it in Isaiah, and I believe it will in you. Notice what happens in verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Here's the last thing. Willingness is fueled by the will of God. By the will of God. And and so in your mind, you have to kind of almost picture. Remember, here's the king on his throne. And you got to imagine the king on his throne in his court that is there. And he's calling out to his servants that are in the court. He's saying, I have a, I have a, a mission. I have a, 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 a duty. I need someone to step into this. I need someone to volunteer. And Isaiah has just had this incredible experience. The greatness of God. The mercy of God. And the willingness of heart. The response is, here am I, send me. The, the, the literal response is, hear me. Here, now, me. After everything I've seen, after everything I've experienced, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? And see, if we want to develop a willing spirit, then, then not only do we look upward and see his greatness, not only do we look inward and see our need and let his grace remake us, but now we stand with him and we look outward and we see the world with his eyes and we feel the world's needs with his heart and we listen for his will, his purposes and we join him in his mission. Now, let me, let me make sure I don't bait and switch you. Sometimes when you say, here am I, send me, what he sends you into isn't all kittens and rainbows and it all just works out. Per- like it's just, oh, it just all just plays out perfectly. Sometimes the things he sends us into are really difficult and really tough, but they're needed and they're necessary. And the willing spirit says, I'm not worried about the conditions. 
if this is what you need me to do, I'm a willing servant. A willing servant is surrendered to the leader. And willingness is reflected by the surrendered life. Now, what Isaiah was going to do, if you were to keep reading on, it was not going to be easy. It was going to get worse before it got better. And there's even this moment where he, he kind of asked, well, how long? And the answer is, in essence, as long as it takes. It's kind of like, again, uh, Peter has this almost repeat experience, kind of a second calling. Remember, in the boat, it ended with uh, Peter. uh, From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. Then Peter denies Jesus. There's this encounter he has. He goes back on a boat. Jesus is resurrected. He's calling from the shore. Peter realizes Jesus. He jumps out of the water. They go. They have this meal together. He restores Peter. And then he says, Peter... Here's what's going to happen. I need you to follow me. And then he notices that John's listening on. He says, well, what about him? And Jesus' response is important. It's important for us to hear. He says, what does that matter? What does it matter what I want to do with him? You must follow me. Willingness is fueled by the will of God in our lives. We want what we want is the will of God, not our own safety, not our own security, not our own, because th- this gets back to willfulness. I want to control it. I want to I shape it. I, wanna, I want it to be on my terms. Willingness is fueled by the will of God and wanting the will of God in our lives. And Jesus can be this demanding, I think, of us because he modeled this Himself. In fact, you and I are here today because of the, the willingness of Jesus. So remember, in that garden, that night, just before he was arrested, he's praying. And it is so intense, it says that his, his, his sweat became like drops of blood. And he's saying, Father, if there's another way. He's asking, is there any other way to do this? But then he says, but not my will but yours be done. Again, he prays, Father, is there any other way? But not my will, but yours be done. And angels come and attend to him and strengthen him. And he is resolved. He is not turning back. And Gary Moon writes this. He says, Jesus' acceptance of the cross is the ultimate symbol of willingness Obedience even unto death. His sacred heart hung at the point of the intersection between the vertical, the will of God, and the horizontal, the will of man. And on the cross, Jesus told his father, as you wish. He knew it was the best way to say, I love you. So you and I, every day, throughout the day, have decisions to make. And they're life and death decisions. Will our life be characterized by willingness or willfulness? And so here's the question of response today. Will your life be marked by willingness or willfulness? Willfulness is marked by grabbing and controlling. But I just want to remind you, it's also always attached to shame and hiding and rebellion and pain. What we think is for our best always turns out for our worst. But a life of willingness 
It is marked by surrender and service. And I love the words of Bill Hybels. He says, there's no faster track to find your uh, track to your soul finding satisfaction than on the path of servanthood. Friends, this community needs willing servants like Isaiah, like Jesus. And this has been our prayer. We're praying, Lord, Lord, make us, make us willing servants. Develop this in us. Help us serve like you. And so let me put this, this verse back on the screen. Remember the, the question he asks is this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so I want to give you just about 60 to 90 seconds of silence to pray, to come back to the prayer we started at the beginning. Lord, here's my heart. So listen, as if, as if the king is standing here and he's looking out into his court and he's saying now to you, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And just take a quiet moment to respond to him in that.